Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Alwish's Church and School in New Jersey. Also brought to you by Budweiser as well as Castrol Motor Oil. Just a reminder, if you want, you can be part of the program. Uh, just send a comment on Facebook Live or Periscope or you can give the show a call. The number is 732-364-3598. We're going to try to touch on a couple different sports today. Uh, I was thinking, you know, different things throughout the world of sports have kind of ticked me off over the years. And there's one topic that I just can't seem to stay away from. Now, it used to be talking about the Hall of Fame, but I feel like I've exerted every possible word that I could from the English language to describe how embarrassing that is. But now there's another pet peeve. There's another issue it's brought up in the world of baseball time after time after time. And I'm wondering why there seems to be a lack of intelligence. We're talking about sports fans. We're talking about baseball fans that throw stats in your face like they know everything. They throw numbers in your face like they want to make you look stupid. Like they want to make it as if they are so superior to you. Yet they don't know that a Major League Baseball manager doesn't make any decisions in a game. They don't know that a Major League Baseball manager has have all their power stripped away from them. They don't understand that a Major League manager is told what to do over the course of the game through the eye in the sky, somebody in the clubhouse, somebody in the front office, somebody through an earpiece is telling the manager what to do. It's telling the manager when to take out the pitcher. It's telling the manager who to put in your lineup. It's telling the manager when to make a double switch. Every single decision that we blame on a manager in Major League Baseball is made for them. Yet all you got to do is go to Twitter and have Twitter every single day with all these know-it-alls. All these baseball people that think they know everything. Throwing stats in your face. Proving their real intelligence. Because you don't know that a Major League Baseball manager doesn't make a decision in a game anymore. Everything's decided for him. He executes the decisions that are made for him by the front office, by the analytics staff. And I wasn't even going to start with this today, but this is pissing me off. We got an entire baseball community that claims they're so smart. You guys know everything. Go ahead. Preach on. Show us everything you know about baseball. But you don't know in a year of 2019, managers on a Major League Baseball team don't make decisions. They have no control over the game. But go, keep, keep telling us how smart you are. Managers in baseball don't make decisions anymore. But all I got to do is Listen to everybody, recapping the Mets game, recapping the Yankees game, recapping any game in Major League Baseball, or go blame everything you can on the manager. And I can't wait to hear more managers write books about their experience as a Major League Baseball manager in this decade. And will basically tell you that they don't have any control over the game. They have control over the players, their guidance counselors. They're here to basically make the players feel comfortable. They're here to 
keep the locker room together, but they have no control, none whatsoever of any decisions in the game. They don't make the lineups. They don't make the pitching changes. They don't control what pitchers are available and what pitchers are not available. And any manager that says they do right now is just covering for the front office, their boss, their superiors, their owners. You're not going to go against the person that's writing your paycheck. You're not going against the person that's ahead of you in a, pe- in, in a line of control. Because you're going before them. So you're not going to turn your back on them. But I can't wait to see with Major League Baseball when things change and when managers start speaking out. They'll probably speak out after they lose their job, but will tell you something that you should have already known. So if you want to embarrass yourself and prove that you lack baseball acumen in 2019, keep blaming the manager for every single thing that happens over the course of a Major League Baseball game. Like you really think they have control over anything. They don't write the lineups. They don't make the pitching changes. They don't determine when to take a pitcher out. There's the earpiece. There's the call from the clubhouse. There's the bench coach that's getting information from the back. Managers aren't making decisions anymore in Major League Baseball. So what I actually wanted to start with today is DeMar DeRozan was speaking up the other day and you know the former Raptors player obviously the star did a you know did a great job over his time there and could very well very well deserves to be respected when you look back at the history of the Toronto Raptors franchise and the best players to ever play DeMar DeRozan's going to be on that list the unfortunate thing that's happened as we followed over the last, what, 365 days, you jump into DeLorean, go back a calendar year. The Raptors were getting knocked out by the Cleveland Cavaliers last year and LeBron James. And now, the Raptors, yes, they need to play a little better. It looks like things are kind of swinging in the Golden State Warriors' direction. But they're in a very good spot to win themselves an NBA championship. Closer spot than they've ever been before. They've never been to an NBA Finals before. So DeMar DeRozan, obviously giving respect to his team. You know, Kyle Lowry, his former teammate, apparently one of his best friends, wants to see them do well. But some of the comments that he made, and once again, you know, the media kind of pushes things in a certain direction, kind of pushes things at you that if you're a player, if you're a significant figure, you're going to be pushed in front of the camera or in front of a microphone a lot. You're going to be asked a lot of the same questions. So I'm not totally going to say DeMar DeRozan was in the wrong here because I don't have pretty much a, a, a prelogue or a prologue of what happened before or how many times he was asked the same question. Now, he is asked, he pretty much says, hey, I was basically used or a scapegoat to get them Kawhi Leonard. Now, the one thing that has to be understood, and I think this is the obvious part of it, this is the reason, I think, why the media would bait DeMar DeRozan. Who is the better basketball player, Kawhi Leonard or DeMar DeRozan? It's pretty obvious. And if you didn't know it before, if you didn't know it at the time of the trade, when DeRozan went to the San Antonio Spurs and Leonard went to the Toronto Raptors, 
you clearly know it right now. Kawhi Leonard has had really an MVP type of season, a season that's going to get him an absolute max deal with pretty much any team of his choice in free agency. And he has proven, while over the last couple of years having injuries or issues or maybe straight up not wanting to play for Greg Popovich, Popovich is he's gone out there and answered the bell this year. Now, DeMar DeRozan played well, but that San Antonio Spurs team may, may have not been in the same position as the Raptors. So Leonard going to the Raptors is the main reason why this team has won a game in the NBA Finals and is even in the NBA Finals. Now, you needed DeMar DeRozan to get Kawhi Leonard, so that's the only thing that he could say at that moment that would make any sense. Outside of that, you know, I do question some of the things he says. Now, was he baited into it by the media? Was he baited into it by people that were asking the same questions day after day after day after day after day? Because that's what the media does. The media tries to create a story if there is no story. Or was this DeMar DeRozan essentially just making a statement himself? Making it seem as if the Raptors used him to get Kawhi Leonard. Now, I think maybe they did, but I, I think at the time that trade was made, there was plenty of questions about Kawhi Leonard. Now, I think we knew that he was talented. Maybe some of us didn't know that he could have been this solid of a player or this dominant or this much of a number one player on an NBA team leading you to the promised land. But you knew he was pretty talented, and he knew that the thing that had been holding him back is he wasn't on the court in the NBA playing in games. So I, th I think it's interesting, you know, you look at a guy like a DeMar DeRozan and you realize that he was here to help Toronto for the last series of years and you watched it for a series of time. They fell a little short. They got embarrassed last year. They got to a point where a very good head coach in Dwayne Casey lost his job. So one of the things that I believe in when it comes to sports, you know, there has to be accountability going all the way from the top down to the bottom. And sometimes we don't have that accountability. Sometimes that accountability is thrown towards one person and makes it seem as if there is only one scapegoat and one person to blame. Now you could have you could have made a case that there could have been a couple different scapegoats here. You start with the head coach, Dwayne Casey, losing his job. Then the trade of a big player in DeMar DeRozan. Now, if you're the San Antonio Spurs and you weren't going to get anything out of Kawhi Leonard, or maybe straight up Kawhi Leonard did not want to play in San Antonio and for Greg Popovich, then it may have been the best decision to make that trade. DeRozan gives the Spurs, a player that they can trust and use on a consistent basis. Somebody that's going to be in a lineup. Somebody that's going to play. Something that they didn't have in Kawhi Leonard. And Leonard, as he's hitting his free agency, goes to a place where he wants to play. So his game takes off. And there's no question that the Toronto Raptors are a much better team than they were last year with Leonard. Just a reminder that this this is a famous Budweiser beer. We know no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability you will find in no beer at any cost. 
So those that caught the beginning of my show, I apologize for getting upset, but you know, I'm finally about to lose it. And if I haven't lost it already, if I have to talk about it anymore, I'm going to lose it. The manager in Major League Baseball has absolutely no power. And I don't think I'm ever going to be able to understand the lack of comprehension that exists with baseball fans. Because it's so it's so much of a thing that's kind of just entrenched in our minds. Hey, something doesn't go wrong. Who do we blame? The manager. And maybe we're talking about working class America that's used to a manager overseeing an operation. And if something goes wrong, the manager has to answer to it. I get it. I get it up to a certain point. But we've watched the game evolve. We've watched the game change right before our eyes. And managers in Major League Baseball are still getting blamed. But now they're getting blamed for decisions they're not even making. And for those that say, hey, this manager may have said that he did this or he did that. He's covering for anybody that's telling him what to do. No manager in baseball is going to stand up and say, there is no reason that I would have made that decision, that I was told to do this. Nobody's going to do that. Anybody who wants to keep their job is not going to throw their boss under the bus. And you have to understand that. And I'm just honestly tired of talking about it. But when we're in a world of sports, talking about baseball, um, Clint Frazier dropping a couple balls, having some uh, bad times in the outfield in a game on Sunday against the Boston Red Sox. And he, he's obviously not proven himself as a defensive player. There's been issues. He does not look like he's comfortable in the outfield. Maybe it's a mental thing. You know, some people have said that they've watched him since high school. And he seemed like a pretty good defensive player. Seems like over time he's kind of lost his game or lost whatever edge that he had. The issue that people are having right now is the coverage in the media where Cliff Frazier isn't answering questions. He drops a couple balls in the outfield. He doesn't want to talk about it. They say, well, the media says, number one, God forbid you never decide to talk to us. God forbid you ain't speaking with us because that's absolutely unbelievable. How could you not talk to the media? It's almost like it's your job. Now, there's people in the media that say it is your job. That being said, you have the right to abstain. You have the right to not want to speak with the media. There's many players in all different fashions of sports that choose not to speak to the media on given days. And there's some other ones that decide that they don't want to speak to the media at all. Think about Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray's a Hall of Famer. Eddie Murray, if the baseball writers could control it, he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. The guy had 3,000 hits and 500 home runs, something that had barely ever been done before, something that had been done by you know Hank Aaron and just a few others. So you had to put Eddie Murray in the Hall of Fame. But if it was up to the baseball writers, they would not because he never spoke to the media. Now, players do have that option. Now, you say, you, you may want to come back at me and say, hey, you know, John, listen, you're wrong here. They don't have an option. No, they do. They can make the decision to not speak to the media, but they have to deal with consequences. Consequences exist from the writers and the media putting up bad stories about him or saying negative things about him. And maybe being a distraction to his team. 
you know, stories being written about a player because he doesn't talk to him to the media is taken away from the action that's on the field, taken away from the attention that should be on whether the team's doing good or the team's doing poorly. Obviously, the New York Yankees are doing very well, so a negative story about Clint Frazier not speaking to the media, no matter what it was about, is taking away from the positives where you can talk about the Yankees winning game after game. So there is negative ramifications, but the choice does exist. The choice is out there for that player, whether they do or don't want to speak with the media. Now, some, like I said, there's some players out there that never talk to the media. There's some players that, hey, you just had a bad day. Maybe you don't like the mindset that you're in right now. And you feel, hey, it's better off that I relax. It's better off that I you know, sit on what happened the other day. Maybe I'll talk to the media tomorrow. Or maybe you're just that upset that you don't want to talk about that given issue or that given game or that given moment that things didn't go right for you. Now, the one part of it that I don't agree with is the sentiment that, hey, you're putting your teammates on the hot seat because you're forcing them to answer questions about you. It's the media that's deciding to ask the questions. The media is the one that's pushing the issue here. Now, if the players don't want to be asked questions about it, simply say, hey, I don't, I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to answer questions about that. I'm going to answer questions about me, but I'm not going to answer questions about somebody else. Once again, it's a narrative that the media is continuously pushing out there saying, oh, you're forcing teammates to answer questions for you when those teammates could not answer the questions, number one. The manager could not answer questions about that person and can say, hey, if you want to talk to that player, try to ask them the question, but I'm not going to answer it for you. So the one thing that I think of Cliff Frazier, and some people may say, hey, he's a distraction. And Cliff Frazier is in a tough spot because the Yankees, as the players start to get back, the Judges, the Stantons, the DDs, you know, Batances, Severino, at some point, it doesn't matter what position these players play that are coming back for the Yankees, there's roster spots you have to think about. And the Yankees have been carrying 13 pitchers for the most part of the season. At some point, one of these roster decisions is going to impact a pitcher. So, Clint Frazier hitting home runs, doing a good job, give him credit. He's, he's done well offensively for the Yankees. But, he's expendable for a couple different reasons. When you talk about the talent of the Yankees roster and the players that are there, you can get to a certain point where you say, hey, Frazier's just the odd man out. He could be hitting 300. He could be hitting for some power. He could be playing better defense in the outfield. But if it's a numbers game, he has options. He could be down there in AAA. And the other part of it, obviously, is the Yankees' interest in adding themselves a starting pitcher. If they don't sign Dallas Keuchel, maybe they could sign. Maybe they could trade for Scherzer. Maybe they trade for Bumgarner. Maybe they make some other trade with some other team in Major League Baseball. And the player that most likely would be wanted by that other team would be Clint Frazier. They can talk about his defense, not helping the National League club. But sure, Frazier would draw interest because of his bat. So Clint Frazier doesn't have the power. You could say that he's entitled. I compare him to a, an entitled player that came up in 1988, did great things in the month of September, earned himself a spot on the New York Mets playoff roster, and that's Greg Jeffries. And Greg Jeffries single-handedly destroyed the New York Mets team of the late 80s. His entitlement, his 
relationship or the fact that his manager, Davey Johnson, liked them so much, kind of threw him in the faces of the other player. He did whatever he wanted to. He rubbed his teammates the wrong way. And the Mets went from a team that was a break or two away from winning the 1988 World Series to a team that was on a major decline, ends up having to rebuild. Their star players leave as free agents. They end up coming up with the worst team money can buy, which, by the way, you know, involved the trade of Jeffries finally to the Kansas City Royals. And a spiral started with Greg Jeffries, not just being up on that team, not just the fact that he was, what, 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. Not that that's just because he was young. I mean, if he could play, I'm sure, you know, every player there would say, hey, I, I want a player that can play that's going to give us a better opportunity to win. But he rubbed his teammates the wrong way. Certain things that he did, certain ways that he carried himself. It's different in Clint Frazier. Clint Frazier decided he didn't want to speak to the media. He's dropping fly balls in the outfield left to right. If you want to look at those plays again, go ahead. But what are you gonna, what's he going to tell you when you ask him why you dropped the fly ball? Is he going to tell you he did it on purpose? Is he going to tell you that he misplayed a fly ball because you know he wants out of New York? At some point, the media has got to realize, what are you going to accomplish with these given questions that you're pounding at players? Whether it's DeMar DeRozan, who we spoke about earlier. How many times are you going to ask him about the trade to San Antonio and Kawhi Leonard going to the Raptors and the Raptors playing in the finals? How many times are you going to try to ask Clint Frazier, hey, why are you dropping balls? Why are you misplaying balls in the outfield? We got video. You want to watch it again? Go see. Maybe you can see something in his path that you know led to him misjudging the ball. But you need Clint Frazier to explain to you why? Come on. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or release of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of the show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPLA.com and JohnPLA LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or release of the program, such as by charge or admission for a showing, is similarly prohibited. So, I was thinking of three small topics that I wanted to touch on very briefly. Um... You know, Tom Brady's trying to trademark or patent the nickname Tom Terrific. Which, if you think about where it actually originates, it's Tom Terrific the cartoon. Tom Seaver obviously had that nickname throughout the long, long part of his career. And unfortunately, Tom Seaver is not in the physical or mental condition to be able to address this particular issue. Tom Seaver earned that nickname which I think is pretty obvious. That's the first nickname that you think about when you think of Tom Seaver, not the first nickname you think about when you think of Tom Brady. You know, really, TB12, you know, the GOAT, I think about greatest of all time is a hell of a freaking nickname. The bottom line is, you know, Tom Brady, and maybe Tom Brady is too young to really know who Tom Seaver was and the impact that Tom Seaver had throughout his major league career. Obviously, Seaver means a lot more to Mets fans than Boston fans. You know, you had him on the 86 team last couple months of the season sitting in the dugout as the Mets ended up winning the World Series in 1986. You know, Seaver's last game was, you know what, July or August of that year, or beginning of September, whatever. He finished his career with the Boston Red Sox, but the Boston fans 
not didn't get to see how dominant Tom Seaver was over the course of his career. And Seaver pitched in the World Series a couple times, pitched in the postseason a couple different times. You know, dominated the sport, was an absolute Hall of Famer. And it's not to make a comparison between Seaver and Brady, who's better. Now, you look at what Brady's done and what he's meant to his sport, what he's done for this generation, you could say it's pretty incredible. And you can't have a conversation without, with, with Tom Brady and realistically try to make like the guy wasn't any good. Talk about anybody in the history of pro football playing in nine Super Bowls, let alone being a quarterback, winning six of them. But when you're talking about taking a nickname, which if Tom Brady doesn't know directly, somebody's got a whisper in his ear. There's this guy called Tom Terrific. His name is Tom Seaver. And he could respectfully say, hey, I didn't know enough about him. Now I do. Let me just move on. But if Tom, Tom Brady goes out there and takes advantage of the fact that Tom Seaver is not in a physical or mental enough state to be able to defend himself, patent the nickname Tom Terrific, I think it would be a terrible job. and would really make Tom Brady look bad. Not only that, but the cartoon Tom Terrific which obviously we know is old, you know, way before a lot of the cartoons that we've watched on Warner Brothers. You know, they'd be in a spot where you'd certainly have a good fight on your hands. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. This is the Pass Ball Show brought to you by Castrol Motor Oil, Budweiser, JohnPLA.com as well, St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. I'm thinking about, you know, Zidane Chara of the Boston Bruins. He's questionable for Game 5, but probably has a good reason. He's got a broken jaw. Then he ended up uh, in Game 4, series that's tied two games apiece. Game right, a very important Game 5. And Chara, a defenseman, plays hockey, is about to go out there and play. You think about certain sports that players are missing games because of minor things. And you think about football, a lot of times players can play through minor injuries, and you know over the course of a long season in baseball, you're going to have to deal with aches and sprains and you know little different things that happen over the course of the season that you learn that you can go out there and play through. Nobody in any sport plays hurt more than you do in the NHL. I mean, you talk about the NHL playoffs and going back the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Players want to win the cup. You're in the playoffs. It's your opportunity. As we hit what we'll call the concluding point of the basketball show, last, I don't know, 10 or so minutes of program today. But, man, you, you know, you hear about all these different injuries, you know, fractures and bone breaks. You know, in this case, Char with the broken jaw. Do players in hockey want it a little bit more than in other sports? Do they want to win a championship more than Major League Baseball players want to win a World Series? Do they want to win a Stanley Cup more than players in the NBA do? Hypothetically, if Kevin Durant was an NHL player, 
would he be suiting up? Or would he be sitting out now the third game out of three in the NBA Finals? I don't know what it is about the makeup, the bloodlines, the body, the way that you were created as a professional hockey player. But those are men of steel. They play through worse injuries than you could ever see or imagine in other sports. Is it time to start questioning the other athletes for not playing? I mean, think about it. If Zdeno Chara of the Bruins is playing, for, by the way, he's 41 years old and is 21st year in the NHL. If he takes a shot to his broken jaw, he could probably destroy his face and his mouth for the rest of his life. But he's likely to play. And I think every athlete in professional sports should hold themselves to the same standards of players in the National Hockey League. Last thing I wanted to mention today, you talk about shifts as they apply in Major League Baseball. And... You know, when when is etiquette okay to bunt against the shift? And I believe you should if you're if you're able to get the ball to that vacated side of the infield, you go out there and get yourself a base hit. Now there was an incident that happened in a Trenton Thunder game against Hartford a couple days ago. And there was a no hitter in the ninth inning, player lays down a bunt, ends up beating out, benches clear and stuff like that. And you, you look at it, and I'd have to look at the infield alignment. I mean, you, you'd say, hey, if it was a left-handed batter, odds are, even at the minor league level, there's going to be a vacated side of the infield. You're going to put the shift on just about every against every left-hand hitter. If that was the case, and he bunted a ball to a vacated part of the infield, then I got no problem with it. I have absolutely no problem bunting at any time or putting the ball down on that left-hand side of the diamond when you're not putting a fielder in that spot. Here's the issue that, here's the thing that has to be brought up about shifts. You know, the fact that you decide to shift on a player isn't like playing that, you know, what, five-man game of baseball when we were a kid. I, think, I don't know if you, how many people remember playing when you had an odd amount of players and it was only a couple. You'd put a player at first, you'd put a player on the left-hand side of the diamond, you put another guy in left field, you have a pitcher or a catcher, and you were told that if you hit the ball to the opposite field, you're going to be out because there wasn't a fielder there. We don't do this in the pros. So if the opposition is looking for a base hit and finds the only opportunity to get a base hit or the best opportunity for them to get a base hit is to find some way to put the ball where the fielders aren't, that other team can't get upset. That other team should not be getting pissed off when a player decides to put the ball where, where the fielders ain't. Just because you decide to shift doesn't mean the player has to hit the ball where the fielders are. So I'd have to look back at the video. Unfortunately, there were a couple, uh, I guess, phone videos that people put out there. Hey, the benches are clear and let me get a little bit of a clip of it. Nobody was videotaping the beginning part of it. So I don't know the defensive alignment. I don't know if the bump was put on against the shift. If it was, I don't care if it's the ninth inning of a no-hitter. I have no issue with that play. A little bit of recap of the show today. Uh, we wanted to talk, or I wanted to talk about the managers having no power in Major League Baseball. Kind of leaving it towards the end of the show. Kind of lost my mind. I, I believe in every single thing that I say 
100% wholeheartedly. But we understand that Major League Baseball managers have no power. Yet people are still talking like every decision that goes wrong should be blamed on a manager. It's ridiculous. DeMar DeRozan, Kawhi Leonard, we know who got the best of that trade. You know, was DeRozan baited by being asked the same questions over and over again? I think it's something that has to be thought about when he went out there. And I don't think his comments were bad. I mean, I think he understood that the trade for Leonard led to that team getting a little bit better. And I think he'd admit to Leonard, at least at this point, right now in 2019, is a better player. But his comments didn't come off, you know, sounding like a real pro's pro. But like I said, was he baited into it? You know, Clint Frazier of the Yankees. The media want to, you know, hammer him with questions. But they're going to turn on him. They're going to treat him a certain way because he's not answering questions. Players in sports don't have to answer to the media. Now, they do have to deal with consequences if they don't. The team looks bad. Perhaps teammates and coaches and managers have to answer questions for the players. And that's all controlled by the media. But Eddie Murray, Jim Rice, you're talking about Hall of Famers in Major League Baseball that never spoke to the media. Greg Jeffries of the Mets, 1988-1989, really destroyed that clubhouse. I don't see the same thing happening with Clint Frazier. I don't think he's impactful enough. He's a good player, but I don't think he's a face enough for that franchise or has the backing of the New York Met, or New York Yankees front office and Aaron Boone to make that much of a difference. Tom Terrific. Tom Brady wants to patent or wants to trademark that name. You forgot about, apparently he doesn't know who Tom Seaver is. And neither of them may know about Tom Terrific, the cartoon character. Bunning to prevent no-hitters. I'm absolutely 100% in favor of it if the team's putting on a shift. We'll be back with you next week. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Once again, this is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPLA.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.